Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. This is David Shoemaker, and I'd like to welcome you to Living Thelema. Now, this segment's going to cover creating effective magical invocations. And um, before I get into detail on that, I just want to make a differentiation and explain a little bit about the difference between uh, evocation and invocation. It's very important to understand. Many of you probably are aware of this distinction, but just in case, I want to say a word or two about it. Now, evocation, that's E-V-O, evocation, uh, is essentially calling a force outward, um, projecting it outward uh, into a triangle or uh, you know, a similar sort of uh, mechanism of externalizing the force, or at least um, relating to it as if it's an externalized force, however you want to think of it. This is generally used for low yet erratic entities like goetic spirits, planetary spirits, and intelligences, and things like that. The magician is in a role of commanding and controlling the spirit. Now, um, Crowley has an interesting comment about evocation uh, from uh, Magic and Theory and Praxis. He says, uh, the magician soon discards evocation almost altogether. Only rare circumstances demand any action whatever on the material plane. The magician devotes himself entirely to the invocation of a god, and as soon as his balance approaches perfection, he ceases to invoke any partial god, only that god vertically above him in his path. And so a man who perhaps took up magic merely with the idea of acquiring knowledge, love, or wealth finds himself irrevocably committed to the performance of the great work. Um, invocation, by contrast, is a calling of the force inward into yourself. So rather than being in your circle and evoking the spirit into this triangle outside the circle and really focusing on that, that sort of the, uh, the external aspect there, um, this is very much a bringing inward. You generally would use this for Atsaluthic, Briatic, and high Yetzeratic entities like gods, uh, goddesses, archangels, angels, and forces of a similar stature. Uh, the magician aspires to embody the nature of the force invoked. So in working with evocation and invocation over the years and thinking about these definitions, um, both in theory and in practice, um, I came up with a rule of thumb that has served me pretty well in terms of knowing when to evoke versus invoke and uh, keeping Crowley's comments in mind as well. Um, and the rule of thumb is that if you want all of yourself to be more like the entity, invoke it. If, on the other hand, you want the entity to do your bidding and be an extension of yourself, evoke it. So think about the nature of the entity in question and ask yourself, is my true will calling me to make all of myself be more like this thing? And if you, if your answer to that question is not a resounding yes, then you might want to think about whether this is something more suitable for evocation. Um, so, you know, take that uh, for what it is, which is advice from one magician, but, um, uh, you know, think about it as a rule of thumb that you might want to use yourself. So with that uh, set of preliminaries accomplished, let's turn our attention to the main topic here, which is, of course, invocation. Now, um, there are two types of invocation. 
and generally speaking, and, and you might want to refer to the Living Kalima segment on ritual construction for an expanded discussion of um, these two kinds of invocations and also um, how to fit them into a larger ritual structure. But just as a brief reminder, you have general invocations, which bring in a more or less undifferentiated magical force. It's like plugging the TV into the wall socket. You've got power to the device. Um, examples of this would be the anthem from the Gnostic Mass, uh, the preliminary invocation from the Goetia, um, in other words, Libersamic uh, style rituals. Um, ultimately, invocations taught to you by your own HGA will be the, the, uh, the most useful and most potent example of general invocations. This will be, for you, the best way to get power turned on to that TV. Now, after you've got power on, you really want to tune that TV to the right channel, you know, and that's the specific invocation. You want to not just have force, but you want the specific kind of force that you need. So um, for this, you would use, for example, specific rituals like uh, pentagram rituals for elements, hexagram rituals for um, planetary and zodiacal invocations. Uh, you might use prayers to specific gods, like or rituals devoted to specific gods, like uh, Liber Israfel, uh, as an invocation of uh, Thoth, Hermes, uh, and, and so on. Um, so you, this is where you really tailor the energy to the specific magical aims that you have. Again, you might want to look at uh, my ritual construction episode for uh, for more on this. Um, in any case. Um, especially with regard to specific invocations, there are a few tips that are going to um, amplify your ability to to do powerful invocations. And I'm going to go over a few of those interspersed with some commentary by Crowley from Magic and Theory and Practice, Chapter 15. A very interesting thing happened when I started planning um, this, this talk and... Um, I realized that a lot of the tips for good invocations, for effective, powerful invocations, are also tips for good sex. So <laughs> listen carefully and, uh, and, and see what you think. Um, uh, you, you may get uh, helped in more than one area of your life by listening to these podcasts. Who knows? Um, the first tip I want to throw out is that it helps to first personify the God outwardly and then embody it. So the general movement is from relating to this external thing and then eventually arriving at the place where you are living out the nature of that thing. Um, so you first describe the God as vividly as possible, you know, ritualized uh, prose, um, poetry, whatever you've decided to do. Then, uh, then you begin to act and speak as the God would. So again, that's that movement from outer to inner. By, by, uh, by doing this, you, you become a, a veritable talisman of the God. You have created the proper form that attracts the desired force. Once again, refer to documents like Liber Israfel for um, examples of ways to uh, really build that structure of, of ritual form with words, with incense, with symbols, and so on, uh, so that the proper force is drawn to it. 
in Magic and Theory and Practice, Crowley uh, also gives three non-ritual tips for assisting with uh, really embodying the god uh, and getting inside the head of the god, so to speak, to, to, uh, to be able to embody it. The first of these is to master the use of the astral body, like the neophyte does uh, in AA, um, and master the technique of rising on the planes, and then use that skill to explore symbols and astral realms that are car- that correspond to the nature of the god. Um, so you uh, you begin to be more fluent in the symbolic language of the god. Another technique Crowley recommends is to use a mantra suitable to the god. Some of these, you know, we have we have examples of from ancient times in terms of uh, mantra that uh, that would be used. Plenty of examples of this in Crowley's writings. Finally, um, he says you can get a lot of mileage out of embodying the astral form of the of the god, the to assume the god form literally. And um, for examples of this, you might want to look at my descriptions of the god forms used in Liber Resh from the very first Living Palima segment Um, and you know building the skill of of assuming god forms becomes a an indispensable magical technique that uh, you know you'll find yourself uh, much more effective in your ritual work once you can like flipping on a switch become a god by practiced use of assuming astral forms like this. So uh, personify the God, then embody it. The second tip I want to give to you is to address the multifaceted nature of the God. This is one way of describing and personifying the God for the sake of the overall uh, invocation process. And, um, one of the best published examples in Crowley's works of a technique for um, for bringing in the multifaceted nature of a deity and then integrating that into a ritual structure is from Libra Starte. And I'm going to briefly review the instructions from that document um, in terms of how to construct a sevenfold invocation uh, poem or, you know, set of, of stanzas. Um, quoting, First, an imprecation, as of a slave unto his lord, and the desired quality here is awe. Second, an oath, as of a vassal to his liege, with the quality of fealty. Third, a memorial, as of a child to his parent, and the quality of dependence. Fourth, an orison, as of a priest unto his god, adoration. Fifth, a colloquy, as of a brother with his brother, and the feeling is one of confidence. Sixth, a conjuration, as to a friend with his friend, and the quality of comradeship. Seventh, a madrigal, as of a lover to his mistress, with the quality of passion. So you can see how these are seven different, uh, what do you want to call it, uh, emotional tones, I guess, of, of relationship to the deity. And if you can explore all of them and flesh each of them out in terms of how you would relate to the God in question, then um, you've got a more powerful poetic invocation. Uh, did a Libra Astarte, uh, more on Libra Astarte in my, in my devotional practices segment. 
uh, if you want more on this. The third tip is incredibly important and probably most important of anything, and that is to inflame yourself in prayer. Crowley describes this as the whole secret of the process. You lose yourself in the frenzy of your adoration. Uh, this may be due to the words, the ideas, the images, the incense, the dancing, the wine in some cases. Uh, uh, let me read you Crowley's words from chapter 15 because they're, they're incredibly, uh, as you might expect, incredibly well, well chosen by Crowley. The mind must be exalted until it loses consciousness of self. The magician must be carried forward blindly by a force which, though in him and of him, is by no means that which he, in his normal state of consciousness, calls I. Just as the poet, the lover, the artist, is carried out of himself in a creative frenzy, so must it be for the magician. It is impossible to lay down rules for the obtaining of this special stimulus. To one, the mystery of the whole ceremony may appeal. Another may be, may be moved by the strangeness of the words, even by the fact that the barbarous names are unintelligible to him. Sometimes in the course of a ceremony, the true meaning of some barbarous name that has hitherto baffled his analysis may flash upon him, luminous and splendid, so that he is caught up into orgasm. The smell of a particular incense may excite him effectively, or perhaps the physical ecstasy of the magic dance. Every magician must compose his ceremony in such a manner as to produce a dramatic climax. At the moment when the excitement becomes ungovernable, when then the whole conscious being of the magician undergoes a spiritual spasm, at that moment must he utter the supreme adjuration. A little bit later, he says, Suppose the supreme invocation to consist of twenty to thirty barbarous names. Let him imagine these names to occupy sections of a vertical column, each double the length of the preceding one, and let him imagine that his consciousness ascends the column with each name. The mere multiplication will then produce a feeling of awe and bewilderment, which is the proper forerunner of ecstasy. So, uh, really mind-blowing, simple yet mind-blowing stuff here. Uh, it reminds me of Crowley's writings in, in the Scullion of uh, Liber Samach, where he's giving these inner tools of working with the symbols and the ritual procedures. Um, these these are handholds, but incredibly important handholds in terms of uh, developing the inner calisthenics necessary to vault yourself into states of spiritual ecstasy, and that's the essence of inflaming yourself in prayer. Another technique that helps with this, um, is this sounding like good sex tips yet? I think so. Uh, if not so far, this one certainly will. Stop short of the climax, repeatedly, by strength of will. Again and again and again, until it doesn't even occur to you to stop yourself. <laughs> this ensures the appropriate level of inflaming. Crowley comments on this particular uh, aspect. He says... Uh, this forgetfulness must be complete. It is fatal to try to let oneself go consciously. Inhibition is no longer possible or even thinkable, and the whole being of the magician, no minutest atom saying nay, is irresistibly flung forth. In blinding light, amid the roar of ten thousand thunders, the union of God and man is consummated. So that's incredible writing and uh, a perfect 
encapsulation of this technique in terms of the uh, the ingredients that really make it work. Um, so moving on, once you have decided on the force, and this is another tip entirely here, once you have decided on the force to be invoked for the purposes of the overall ceremony, focus only on invoking that force. Forget about the purpose of the ceremony. Um, Crowley says the failure to do this is actually, this, in his mind, the single most common source of error in invocation. We get into the lust of result. We start thinking about what we want and is this going to work and what am I going to do when I get that thing I want and, and maybe subconsciously what are the reasons I shouldn't get the thing I want. All kinds of uh, messes can occur when we lose sight of simply bringing in the force. So we should trust that when we've crafted a, a magical aim and we've crafted a ritual designed to bring that aim to um, fruition, uh, we can forget about that and simply start the machine and watch it go. And a big part of the, the fuel of that machine, of course, is going to be the ability to bring in the force. And we should just focus on that. So um, those s tips are you know, the main thing I want to offer you today in terms of um, approaches to strengthen and empower your, uh, your magical invocations. But I want to conclude with some thoughts on a different plane um, related to what we've been talking about. And that is that I think you can see if you look at the course of a proper and powerful invocation, it, it mirrors the process that the aspirant goes through in the approach to adepthood and the flowering of that adepthood in the outer life. So consider this, that when you inflame yourself in prayer and you make your whole life into a suitable invocation of the HGA and a talisman of the formula of the HGA, the force is naturally attracted. You know, you, as I've said in other contexts, you become a lightning rod and naturally attract the force which is drawn to that. The, the lightning of the HGA strikes you because that's the nature of the form you have taken, and that's the nature of the force that is drawn to it. So in the AA, the grades from probationer through dominus luminous essentially amount to an ever-increasing um, inflaming in prayer through, through not just the specific tasks of the different AA grades and the, the mechanics of it, but through the process of crafting yourself into the proper form, living your whole life in a talismanic state of consciousness increasingly so that natural law itself will demand that your holy guardian angel is drawn to you consciously. Naturally, the HGA has been there the whole time. It hasn't been uh, on vacation somewhere else. You just have to get your head in the right place. Um, then in, in uniting with the HGA and the knowledge and conversation, the, the ecstatic union, um, at Adeptus Minor, um, this is like the climax of an invocation. Uh, you know, it's that moment when, as Crowley was saying, uh, in what I read earlier, you know, you, 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 you vault past any conception of the individual self into this, uh, spiritual ecstasy and 
as he says, the union of God and man is consummated. So um, that happens specifically in the climactic knowledge and conversation working, of course, but that whole um, time of life of the adept who is attaining to that stage on the path is going to have this character. It's going to take on the character of the union of God and man, God and woman. Um, not just that moment of that climactic working in, in your retirement, um, but the whole process of uh, coming into union inwardly and outwardly with the HGA. And then, importantly, uh, the next step for the adept is to go forth in the world essentially as the prophet of the holy guardian angel. Your thought, word, and deed embody the word of the angel. Your will is aligned with the angel, for they have always been one. And for the the outer life of the adept, this is the adeptus major grade and beyond, when the whole outer life becomes a living out of the true will that has been discovered through conscious union with the angel. This is the macrocosmic uh, mirror, if you like, of what you would do in a single ritual working um, where once the invocation has come to a climax, then you are acting as the God, right? You are um, attaining the magical aim of the ritual by virtue of having brought the God into you and then, uh, you know, embodying the force to get what you wanted from the ritual. Um, But again, in life, in the big sense, in the path of, of the adept, this is adeptus major and beyond where you're, your, your entire life is a living forth of the formula and will of the HGA, which is yours. So just a few additional thoughts um, related to invocations, but kind of taking it into a larger scale. Um, I want to suggest if you want some homework to do as a result of uh, listening to this segment that you might consider using those materials that I was reading from Libra Starte and crafting your own uh, seven-part invocations based on those instructions. Um, Then practice uh, delivering those invocations and see if you can um, strengthen the muscles of of devotion within yourself by that practice. Um, You will undoubtedly find that to be a useful skill if you work on it. So uh, I hope this has been useful information today. And... um, I just want to close by mentioning, as you may have heard, that I do have a book coming out based on the Living Thelema segments that I've been doing here for the last three years. Um, The book is going to be released later this year, later in 2013, and uh, it's going to be based on the content of these segments, but with expanded discussion, additional resources, um, and uh, more surprises that uh, we'll... uh, We'll talk about later, but uh, listen to Speech in the Silence and uh, watch the Living Kalima Facebook page for announcements in the coming months. Um, I think it'll be something you'll you'll enjoy. Um, please, as always, send your questions and comments to uh, me at david at livingthalima.com. That's david at livingthalima.com. Visit the Living Kalima Facebook page and uh, engage in questions and discussion and uh, interaction there. And uh, visit livingthelema.com for resources um, related to the various segments and for my bio in case you want to learn more about my work. Thanks, as always, for listening. 
Love is the law, love under will.